This is episode 31 of G.I. Joburg. 100% South African, 100% G.I. Joe. And 150% awesome. <laughs> yeah. This is Steve. Paul. And Robert. Yeah. Woo. Providing you another very timeless episode of G.I. Joburg. We've been off the air for far too long, but we're back. Back in time to talk about a few... Very interesting and important things happening to our hobby. First up, Joe-Con. Woo! Mm. Well, Toy-Con. Uh, technically, yeah, Toy... toy what is it? Toy Fair? New York Toy Fair? Some very exciting releases, some very exciting news for G.I. Joe fans, especially for all of those that have been feeling the pinch of the G.I. Joe drought. And for those of us that are not inclined to pay $30 for exclusive Joe figures, there seems to be some light at the end of the tunnel. What do you guys think of some of the new releases that are coming out? Is that a New York Comic Con? Yeah. Oh, New York Toy Fair or the New York Toy Con. Toy Convention. Where they announced the stuff that would be available at San Diego Comic Con. I must say, this is yeah. all rather confusing to me. I'm trying to get my head around it. I mean, <laughs> appreciate the fact that all of these conventions are completely inaccessible to uh, ye old South African G.I. Joe fans. So... It's it's almost six of one, half a dozen of the other. It doesn't matter what convention they come out of. We just see the images and we're like, oh, well, that's uh, another figure that I won't be able to get <laughs> unless I'm prepared to pay exorbitant eBay scalper prices. But yes, okay, the stuff that is showcased from uh, the New York Comic Con looks extremely good. Uh, we're getting concept case figures, the new Destro with a, a mm-hmm. very shiny leather-esque suit and a nicely proportioned head sculpt and collar that the original 25th anniversary did not possess. That's exciting. It also looks like both his hands are open, so he can hold stuff with that notorious left hand. Uh, the Leatherneck is perfect. I mean, you couldn't ask for a better version of Leatherneck, and justifiably so, a lot of fans are extremely excited about that figure. There's a lot of reused products. The Low Light, General Hawk, um, I think the Snow Job are rather unchanged from previous releases, and that's got a few people scratching their heads. Um, similarly, that cool Baroness, which yeah. I think is perfection in a Baroness. It's all the Baroness we'd ever need. So anyone who missed the Cobra 5-pack from 2009, this is your chance to get her again. Uh, it's the best Baroness um, I think we're likely to ever see, I imagine. So why not reissue her? Hasbro has realized, oh, yes, <laughs> we, we nailed that there's one gold. already. Yeah, there's <laughs> gold in that there line. But um, just to come back to uh, Low Light, uh, Snow Job, and the re-release of Blowtorch. Um, <laughs> what's great about, you know, yeah, Blowtorch was said with a serious question mark, because Low Light, I get uh, Low Light was one of the most amazing figures to come out in the line, period. And, and once com- again, who commands most- quite quite high prices on the secondary market now, because yeah, if you didn't almost- get him on pegs, you need this figure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so his inclusion I mean, makes sense. Yeah, because collectors can expect to pay uh, similar prices uh, for Low Light as they would for collectors club uh, figures, maybe even more. He was fantastic, and Snow Job in my opinion, was a bit of a sleeper hit uh, in that he was a fantastic figure. Maybe not the best hands, but so perfect for Snow Job. I mean, here you've got a, a Snow Job that could be isolated. He's got all of his survival gear. 
it harkens back to older G.I. Joe days where you actually got functional equipment that was tagged to the personality of the character, just like Lowlight. And yeah, a lot of guys actually missed out on that and also a figure that commands fairly hefty prices on the secondary market. So it's a goodie. I'm glad that they're re-releasing those. And something that excites me is the red Night Viper that comes in that same two-pack with Lowlight. That looks and amazing. That's not even, that looks so cool. Uh, I didn't, it looks amazing, I, I, but why... Why are you excited about it? Why red? Why exciting? Go. Um, I'm, I'm excited. It is a very cool color, as many listeners might know, and you guys know this. Uh, I like to form these, like, I don't like to troop build as such, but I like to create, like, a little squad of, of guys. So, like, I've got a squad of Alley Vipers. So, the most of them, all of my Alley Vipers are red and black, with my Alley Viper Commander being mm. the orange and blue one. Uh, I was about to say, cool. you, you'll mesh yeah. well with the Alley Vipers that are also sharing that color scheme. I guess that's the official or unofficial intention behind it. Very possibly. I would love to still get my hands on the green one, uh, but this is great because it gives me an opportunity because uh, BBTAs did have that little mess up with the shipping, and I didn't get my Night Viper, as listeners and you guys know. So that's a cool one. Uh, although it's not the hottest topic on that list, uh, in my opinion, my favorite being the Heat Viper. <laughs> uh, I cannot wait for the Heat Viper, and I cannot wait for that Night Landing Cross. It is so cool. Yes, let's get on to the vehicles then. Some very pleasant surprises. The wolf? I mean, where did they dig up that mold? I think that's a question on most Joe fans' minds at the moment. And where's it been for the last, jeez, uh, 25 years, 27 years? They're just waiting for the right time to bring it out. I think what they did is, I think, I think somebody at Hasbro, uh, maybe as a side project or maybe he was commissioned to do it, he went and bought a very good condition wolf on eBay and he just went and made a wax mold based on that and changed the foot pegs. That's the only uh, explanation I can think of uh, right now for that. I know, I know that the photographs are just a kind of a teaser, but it's a very clearly an unmodified wolf in the photograph. The foot yeah. pegs are still the original size. So yeah. they just kind of threw a minty looking wolf together for the photo shoots. And uh, I guess they're going to do a kind of a reverse engineer of that wolf or of the wolf or of whatever existing wolf mold they've managed to cobble together. And with any luck, it won't be a heartbreaking near miss like the Sky Striker and the Tom Eagle Hawk. That one. Eagle Hawk. Yes. Yeah. Hopefully it'll yeah. be spot on. Well, we can only hope, eh? I mean, it's it seems like these reproduction classic vehicles are often just... Just just off the mark. If you happen to have the original and then you get the reissued one, you still find favor with your original more yeah, than the true. the newbie. No, I have to agree with you there. Thank you. Um, also, keeping with the cold weather theme, uh, the Ice Viper with his size and a place to keep his size. <laughs> uh, fairly decent Frank and Joe uh, cobbled up there. I wonder if he's going to come with the vehicle. Because having him separately would make so much sense. No, come on. Let's let's hope and pray that they have the good sense to include Ice Viper with the vehicle. Come on, come on. That would be great because that that'll be a nice twist to um to that re-release instead of it what, having a with dedicated like a, driver for a vehicle. No, it'll be a nice twist um to have the Ice Viper with it because didn't the Ice Viper originally come? Did it originally come with the Wolf or did it originally come with like something else? I don't know. Let or me ask it, my Ice Viper quickly. Ice Viper, did you come with the Wolf? Yes, Stephen, I came with the wolf. 
<laughs> and now you know nice the wolf. <laughs> there you have it, folks. <laughs> and Stephen brought his ice viper with him to Korea. Yeah, because I figured it would be snowing so much. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, Paul might have just dropped a very heavy-handed hint, but I am actually not in Cape Town or Johannesburg this evening. I am speaking to you from Seoul, South Korea, where I am working, uh, slaving away. Jesus, it's horrid. <laughs> um, and I expected a wintry Seoul to be covered in snow. Much to my horror, it's only snowed twice and very kind of stodgily. Uh, so I have all my snow joes with me and nary a bit of white powder to take photographs of them in, which is depressing. It is depressing. Not even the weather wants to play ball in this town. Ho-hum, ho-hum. <laughs> and you best believe there are no G.I. Joes or even Creo Joes in uh, Toys R Us stores here in South Korea. So I'm going through a bit of a drought myself. If I wanted to buy Gundam or... Even worse, uh, Power Rangers. I'd be, <laughs> I'd be flat broke because there's just so much stuff to buy. But uh, for a GI Joe fan, this town is a complete deadbeat. I went to a toy museum where they have a few boxed GI Joe items not for sale, but they only extend as far as the brawler and the. I don't even know what it is. It's a 1994 Cobra vehicle, like a, a uh, whatever. Jeep, Scorpion Jeep or something like that. Not terribly exciting. I even managed to get myself excited at the prospect of a mud buster. But like I say, it's a toy museum and none of the items are for sale. Not that the curator could speak any English anyway, so I couldn't even try and make him a deal he couldn't refuse. Mm. Boo-hoo, hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo. <laughs> Moving oh, on wow. to other items, the set released for the G.I. Joe convention in Dallas, Texas, the 50th anniversary G.I. Joe convention, looks quite exciting, though not for a 12-inch collector, I must say. I think yeah. it's a bit of a slap in the face that the 12-inch set includes a 4-inch figure, a 4-inch G.I. Joe figure. That's just, yeah. I mean, I'm always impressed with the product that uh, the Collectors Club puts together for the convention. But, I don't know, man, a lot of 12-inch folks are up in arms about the lack of product produced by the Collectors Club and also Hasbro. So, let's have a moment of silence for all those 12-inch fans out there. But if you're a 3 and 3 quarter inch fan... Ooh, the G.I. Joe Zombie Initiative pack is one figure short of having its complete lineup revealed. The last figure seems to be some kind of dog handler, and by the time this episode becomes available, images of that figure would no doubt have been released. But the lineup as it stands, very cool. I am so excited about these figures that I will never own, because so many of them are so very heavily linked to my childhood. Being a kind of a early 90s G.I. Joe fan, because that was my jump-on point, really, characters like Shebang and the Eco-Warriors were yeah. absolutely the protagonists of my, my bedroom <laughs> battles. <laughs> that didn't sound right. 
the Ninja Force could do no wrong, and having the Eco Warriors meant that you had dudes with removable helmets who could then be used either as uh, some kind of science fiction-y space troop. I mean, this was pre-Star Brigade. I was using the Eco Warriors as my my space adventure core. Uh, or the Masked Crusaders. I mean, if you ever wanted to emulate Mobile Assault Strike Command in G.I. Joe scale, the Eco Warriors were your port of call. Mm. I mean, I think uh, Clean Sweep's helmet even looked like good old Alex Sector. Mm. Maybe this means absolutely nothing to you folks, but uh, Google it. You'll see what I mean. Does this mean that you might actually buy those figures? Not at the prices they're likely to command, Paul. This is another okay. thing that, that really gets my goat. Is, yes, these figures are amazing, but uh, their exclusivity just is such a bane. It's unfortunate. Why can't we have figures produced for the regular line that are of this standard? And I mean, maybe, maybe this is the future of G.I. Joe because they've stagnated and dwindled on uh, general toy shelves long enough for you know the powers that be to release figures in a similar way to I suppose Matty Collector but at least Matty Collector is available available to overseas buyers for you to get a con set you'd have to really go to JoeCon yeah and also just be prepared um, to deal with scalpers on the aftermarket yeah, I mean, just to put things in perspective for the listeners, and this is because I've done the homework, I buy from Matty's Collector, I buy Ghostbusters stuff. Uh, Ghostbusters figures, when I was buying them, were hitting about $20. It was costing me $14 to ship them here, and when they landed here, it was only costing me, it, it cost me about $20, if that, uh, to clear them through customs. So, it, all in all, it didn't end up being that expensive because those figures are really highly, you know, highly articulated and they're very well detailed and they are quite limited. I repeated the same thing by getting myself the, the Ghost Trap as well as the PKE meter, which both came in pretty cheap and with the shipping. The G.I. Joe Collectors Club, when you do it, at least the subscription, for us, uh, ends up being quite a lot of money. It ends up Jeez, I mean, you're looking at $30 a figure, and then the shipping on the, the figures, for some reason, is like $30, $30 to $40. And you don't know when they're going to ship, always. And you have to pay a monthly fee, and it ends up working well into, and this is in our currency, it works well into like $1,500, $1,600 round there, um, just in a single shot. I mean, that's when you... you pay off some stuff, and then later on, you still pay another bunch. So I think we end up paying about three grand. Four grand for for a year's worth of subscription figures, more or less. That's with the shipping and everything included. It feels actually like you you paying just a little under a sideshow figure price with all the shipping and the clearance and stuff. Yeah, it's really horrible. Um, which is why, like for example, I just wait for BBTS to get them, and I've been I've been wanting to get one or two, and I've had to stop myself. Obviously, budgetary constraints. But I'm gonna be honest. This uh, line, I have the same feeling that Steven does. In that I really do want the Eco Force and I do want Chebang. And uh, I don't mind paying that price if the shipping is worth it. And with BBTS, at least I know with the shipping, it can be worth it. If the Rand dollar stays the same. Oh, please. So, the Rand is on yeah. a backslide. I mean, it's it's past the 11 Rand to the dollar mark. And that's yeah, just exactly. in, a, in less than two months. 
Yeah, I'm just thankful I've, I earn dollars at the moment. And if I really wanted to, I could always ask my uh, like friends of mine in the States. To, I could always get them to order the figure and get it sent to their house. You know? Nice. So, so, you know, like that's one way. And that is maybe a way that they would extend all, to all of us here at G.I. Joe Books. So if you guys are ever really keen, I can help us make a plan to get that. It's, On a more uh, lighthearted note, how did you guys pronounce the... Ninja Commando's name, I won't say it, before the pronunciation was actually on the website. It's kind of a guideline. Storm Shadow. <laughs> uh, wrong Ninja wrong. Commando. The Ninja Commando from the Zombie I mean, Initiative. Oh, you mean... Uh, yeah, I think probably the way that I would have pronounced it. Wait, which one is he again? The one wearing yellow. Yeah, like TJ Bang or something. Uh, that was probably what it is, TJ Bang. TJ Bang. Like, terrible. No. He likes banging. I, I <laughs> hey, TJ. TJ Bang. Like, to be bang. TJ Bang. <laughs> How's that valve silence treating you? <laughs> TJ well, Bang. I also call it TJ Bang. Nice. <laughs> TJ Bang. But uh, they've cured the debate at long last by saying Ninja Commando. Shabang. Pronounced Shabang. 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 Just, oh man. Sounds it's like definitely some sort of weird catchphrase someone would have. Shabang. Or just I mean, part of Larry Harmer's uh, unique sense of humor. I mean, I assume he was responsible for the writing of the character's file name or c- code uh, name, but it it could be any number of uh, people. I mean, at that point, there uh, I believe they were kind of hiring him on an ad hoc basis and then kind of firing him and then rehiring him and. Just kind of the pendulum yeah. swung back and forth on, on Mr. Harmer's involvement. On that whole thing. No, I, I called him TJ Bang because uh, with my Chinese friend, uh, he was still like getting English down, like getting it down like really well. I don't know. I was what, 10, maybe 11. So like Chebang didn't like really feature in my brain as a way to pronounce it. So it just sort of just easier if we were just him and I both spoke about this character as TJ. It was like TJ, <laughs> the Tiger Ninja. Tiger Ninja. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Which would you say is your favorite out of the Zombie Initiative set? Ooh, my absolute favorite. Okay, um, out of spe- specifically like the Eco Warriors and and Eco Warrior related stuff. No, or everything that they've shown. Yeah, you could, you know, choose a shebang. zombie. Oh, Shebang, really? Yeah, hands wow. down. Shebang, because. Firstly, uh, I really hate the play feature in the original. So to actually see him and him not having some stupid ninja arm smacking action is like a plus. And I think the head sculpt, I think they nailed the head sculpt. Um, it's a Frank and Joe, but it's, it's, it's cool parts. It's, it's like ninja parts and it's the right parts. And I think that's great. And yeah, he's my favorite hands on. Like if I have to pick out of any of them, he's my favorite. I think my second is probably Ozone. What, uh, I, what sets him apart from the other two? I like the way they've done his suit. Firstly, with Flint, that doesn't seem like the right helmet that they've shown Flint with. Yeah, um, and it's just I a recolored ozone helmet, actually. It's just a yellow. Yeah, it's the same Which I still miss the mark. And also, he um, his suit, I, I think it's mostly airtight parts, which all of them are. But I just find that out of all of them, it's the most dull. And ozone, I've got ozone. He's sitting in my room right now. I've got him with, uh, I think it's Barricade's head. Uh, which I switched over, 
but they really got it. The the this Frank and Joe, they really did him well. Like they put stuff in the right place. He's got those cool canisters. He, you know, instead of the grenades, he's looking great. I think he's he's fantastically done. He's definitely my favorite um, out of the eco force, so to speak. How about you, Rob? Um, I would probably yeah. I think oh, it's difficult because I just really like the look of Ozone, just the way that everything uh, came together. Um, he looks like such a cool sci-fi character. <laughs> yeah, no, um, he's I think pretty sweet body armor, like yeah, it look. looks like something you could really play very crazy with. Um, yeah, I think yeah, Ozone, and then second would probably be what's his name, Outlook, Out Outback. Outback. That one. It's it's really that coming. rifle he comes with. That rifle is really cool. Hmm. I yeah, gotta say, with that Outback, Rick rifle, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I, I yes, got that Outback. I'd switch him. I'd switch him back to the original Outback head because every time I look at that head, I think Snowdrop. Yeah. Um, but I think that, but I think them how, how they revisited it is really great. I think it's very cool uh, because Outback needed needed that kind of a facelift for the figure because such a cool character and the toy is just above. It's just good, you know what I mean. It's not amazing. It's just good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah the legs right. were problematic. And uh, the arms do some parts if you didn't modify it. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Yeah. I've just modified mine immediately straight out of the Assault on Cobra Island box set. Okay. So, you know, it's, I, I forgot that he had such limited range of motion. And he actually has terrible hands. Um, that's something to mention. He has really bad hands. Bad he, hands, he bad. Hold a, yeah, he can hold a very limited uh, range of weapons in the in the Joe arsenal, so to speak. I also think Clean Sweep looks quite good. I mean, he seems to be very faithful to the original. Clean Sweep yeah. would have gotten my votes because I love the original Clean Sweep. It was the first of my eco-warrior figures and uh, one that was enduring for me as a result. I really liked the way his his his, his helmet was asymmetrical. And, I mean, he, more than the other two, screamed like this was some serious shit he was having to deal with. Like, no, he was like the sticky, dealing with the sticky mess guy. Yeah. Absolutely. Whereas, like, the other, the other two had this gap between the base of their helmets and where yeah. the suit began. Like, Clean Sweep yeah. was completely enveloped in this uh, environmental suit. That said, his modern era counterpart in the set, the helmet kind of, the skirt flares out a bit too much. Kind of goes yeah. beyond his shoulders. And I'm a little bit uh, disappointed with his accessories. I mean, I didn't expect him to come with his little, like, um, I don't know, logical disaster tank. (laughs) But a case and an MP5. And that wicked cool gun, but like, mm, there are no signature uh, items of equipment there that make me go, yes, that accessory defines you from X, Y, and Z that came with the same stuff. Yeah, nothing, nothing he comes with does that. Yeah, I mean, I was going to, act, I was considering using him for our topic for today's topic, our Jeez, little sweet. game. <laughs> um, <laughs> just, but, but that's that's why I. Oh, but I haven't mentioned my favorite. Ew. Uh, no, haven't favorite. you? Sorry. Toxavibe. Really? Wow, how sick is that helmet? No, it is a sick ass figure. It, that thing is so sick it needs to go to the um, hospital. It, but. It's it got fucking sick. horns on it. Like the original yeah. had like like a little bit of flair. I mean, they were like fins, 
but these are actually embellished horns. Makes him look like a very aggressive troop. And I like the pseudo-sleekness of his design. I mean, he's got some body armor up front, but everything else is just a kind of a padded, bulky suit. And it makes him look like not only is he dressed to withstand you know, the kind of uh, hostile environments that he would no doubt find himself in, but dressed to also realistically engage in combat there. Mm. And he's packing that cool little laser pistol and a very imaginative and cool repurposing of the Heat Viper uh, missile launcher. Yeah. Makes uh, perfect sense to me. I mean, essentially that's what he came with, just a gigantic tube that spewed, I don't know, sludge? <laughs> I think yeah. that's what they called it back in the 90s. Sludge that would just no. eat away at, uh, at their opponents. Which segues nicely into Sludge Viper. I wonder if we're going to see him. Hmm. It would probably just be a recolor of the Toxo Viper. Though, yeah. the jury's out. Maybe we'll be pleasantly surprised. Maybe there'll be some, some new parts or, or different parts, I should say, just thrown in to, to, to distinguish a Sludge Viper. But yeah, oh, Toxo Viper with that, that green and that deep purple, it's a, it's a very handsome combination of colors and looks great. And the head sculpts on the the Toxic Disaster Trooper, what, what do they call him? The Toxo Zombie? Zombie, yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah, I mean, if, if I had uh, like a... Boss Fight Studios. Shout out to those guys. You guys are doing some great work. Yeah, it's totally. In fact, I was actually going to say, if, if I had enough budget to like... They say I had a budget to buy all of them. But I, but I was just short the right amount of money for one figure. Like, so if I had to drop one figure in the, uh, out of all of them, uh, it would be that stupid Cobra scientist lab rat or whatever they call it. That would be the one I would like drop on the list. I think that that figure is like the biggest piece of shit out of the, that whole re-release. It's a bit hard. Whole, nice. It is very horrible. Yeah. But I mean, I've like, for me, that would have appealed to me two years ago uh, when I didn't have as many Joes as I have now. Now I look at it and I'm like, okay, well, it's another one of those, another one of those, you know. Yeah, it's cool accessories, except like if you take the lab coat off, he then has white sleeves and the rest of his outfit is blue. And yeah, and which is Cobra Commander's pretty much Cobra Commander's body. So yeah. yeah, but like you can never play with him without the lab coat on, because then he just looks yeah. stupid with white sleeves. But it, it's cool that as a it's a 15 figure set. There's like you actually yeah. inside the set itself. There are multiples. I just realized that now. Mm. Yeah. And well, that's how intense it's still get a frag viper from the last one. Yeah. And how often have you said to yourself, "Well, I need some kind of nondescript-looking cobra personnel to populate a lab." Well, yeah. now you got them. So tick that box. You know, it's not going to be on top I've of anyone's list. That. I know. I say it all the time. Hey, recoil. Don't you wish you had some Cobras in lab coats to shoot at? Yes, Steven. Sure. I do. Yep. I want to use my <laughs> gunnerang. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. He likes it that that's way. What I'm calling he, that. he painted it baby blue because it's his favorite color. And easy to find when it doesn't come back, you know. You can find it on the grass. Yeah. Oh, old recoil. He's awesome. I like that toy. I don't know why the Joe fan at uh, Joe fandom at large doesn't like it. Who doesn't like recoil? 
A lot of people don't like recoil. Apparently, what's on your mind like recoil? Yeah, what's yeah. on your mind are cool. They got decent taste, but I'm talking about like everybody else. I, listen, I'm happy that he's not popular. It makes him cheaper. I can get him. <laughs> the last of the new product that needs to be discussed is the Creo stuff. Do you guys have any opinions on that? Yes, I do. Of course. Hit it, Paulie. Of course I have an opinion. I love the Creo stuff. I cannot stress how much I love the Creo stuff. It's two great flavors that taste great together. I love Lego. I love G.I. Joe. What it's a good cooking combination. <laughs> it's not Lego, but come on. It's Lego's distant cousin, pretty much. Okay? And <laughs> well, making... I don't think uh, there are any prizes for guessing that you would have nothing but praise for this line of Creo. Robbie, how about you? Jack? Yeah, I think they look amazing, especially the Terradrome. And it's a scale where you can create all these large items and still make them affordable, I think. Yes. I that imagine the Terradrome set feature. would uh, be a highly priced item anyway. No. Um, but yeah, it, it, I, I take your point. I mean, it's not like buying a you know, reissued Terradrome now, which would just be fantastically expensive. Yeah, or if they were to, I mean, in, you know, the most amazing alternate universe reissue the flag, that would be completely unattainable for, like, (laughs) everyone. It'd be like a sideshow, you know, like, huge vehicle figure thing. I mean, impossible to buy. But I think at this scale, Mm -hmm. you can get away with a lot of stuff. I mean, yeah, it'll be more expensive. But you produce so much other cool stuff to supplement it. I'm very pleased to see that all of the vehicles and equipment are authentic G.I. Joe vehicles and equipment. You've got a ferret. You've got a fire bat. You know, everything produced in that wave seems to be, you know, they didn't kind of go off the wall and try and reinvent the wheel like they did with the Dragonfly from the first series. Ah. Mm. That's yeah, it. It doesn't look like the firebat is likely to fit inside the pterodrome. That's my speculation. Mm. I don't think uh, the fact that they are separately packaged items also mm. suggests that. I mean, the pterodrome seems to come with a hawk, a skyhawk, which is a nice choice. I mean, you get a little bit of GI Joe stuff with a cobra playset, essentially, so that you've got these two forces to play off against one another. That's nice, but you know, the Firebat and Terradrome are kind of married to one another in my mind. That That yeah, is the central function of a Terradrome, is to launch its Firebat drone. And uh, if you can't very well do that, then kind of miss the point, I guess. It just becomes a playset, a base. You know? yeah, but it becomes but you... a very cool playset. So. Yeah, but its heart yeah, you... is missing. It's red beating firebat jet hot. <laughs> but you're still getting everything. I mean, it's you're still getting it eventually. I mean, I think it makes more more sense to to put them separate. I mean, yeah, you know, originally they came together, but now in in the current market, I mean, to create two products to sell. I mean, yeah, I think it's a, a clever ploy to ensure that you buy both sets oh, because yeah. obviously the firebat is a high demand item that you have to then buy separately. But my speculation is that, well, I'd, I'd be pleasantly surprised if the Firebat actually does fit into the Terradrome. To be honest, I only glossed over the pictures. I don't know if it can do that. I just, mm. when I saw it, I was like, nah, that Terradrome looks like the interior is a bit too busy to 
adequately house the firebat in the size that they've they've reproduced the firebat. But anyway, the the jury's out on that one. One other item, and this is another giant fu to the poor old 12-inch collectors. But someone asked on the GI Joe Collectors Club Facebook group on one of the threads there. Will they be reproducing the Atomic Man, which is a 12-inch figure? And someone replied from uh, the Collectors Club saying, there is an Atomic Man Creo figure. (laughs) It's just (laughs) another slap in the face. It's like 12-inch fans want their G.I. Joe. They're getting a 4-inch version of one and then also a Creo version of one. So that's like, that completely misses the point. It's like we want... Our Joe, our we Joe, defined against inches. all we these other. You know exactly. I will never be a 12-inch GI Joe fan, uh, so they're they're pleased. Fall on deaf ears, as far as I'm concerned. It's like get with the program, man. GI Joe is the anti-terrorist group fighting Cobra, and they're four inches tall. Anyway. Yeah, no, that's uh, me being ir- irreverent. But uh, yeah, I, I have to say, I have been on eBay a few times and actually looked up Creo, um, guy, old guys selling the Creo set. Um, and I am, yeah, if I had the money, I would have pulled the trigger already on it. If I ever encounter them in the wild, I would too. The problem is they just are not showing up anywhere except uh, North America, I fear. I mean, I stand to be corrected, but when I was in the United Kingdom, they weren't available. And... If uh, the, the, the Action Force contingent of what's on Joe Mind is anything to go by, I mean, they had their American pals giving them Creo at uh, the rollout roll call this year. So, I mean, if that's anything to go by, it seems like, you know, even the English folk uh, do not get Creo locally. So there's really very little hope for, for us, unfortunately. So that yeah, wraps it up uh, for uh, forthcoming attractions. Uh, does anyone have any new toys to talk about of their own personal collection? I'm going to be quick about this uh, because I'm hoping I can cover some of this stuff in a video review. But I got uh, Sideshow's recently released Baroness and I got Sideshow's uh, recently released Cobra Commander, both of which are Sterling figures. Uh, the Baroness stands head and shoulders above most of the 12-inch line the 12-inch G.I. Joe line from Sideshow. She is stunning. A lot of fears that I had of her being a female figure have been uh, taken away. You know, I've, they've been put to rest. I feel that one or two of the hand sculpts are a bit too small for her proportion because if you had to open, if one of the hand sculpts is open and it doesn't cover her face and therefore it doesn't, it's out of proportion. Other than that, she's doesn't, fantastic. It uh, doesn't bode too well for Destro's manhood. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> Um, <laughs> hey, I don't know. Hey, she's got small hands. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Makes well, him happy. Yeah. I'd like that. Absolutely. Um, but, that old trick. But, <laughs> but uh, stunning figure. Great attention to detail. Very different to the premium format. I dare say a much better face sculpt than the premium format figure. And good articulation in the right places to give her a bit of a sexy twist. You know, she's not a Barbie. Her hips can be swayed and stuff like that. So it's kind of cool that you can give her like a just a sexy curve when you've posed her. So she's great. Cobra Commander is also absolutely fantastic. The uniform, the, the jacket actually has lining in it. The jacket is lined. It's quite surprising. I wasn't expecting that. 
great hands, some cool design. The scepter is fantastic. They could have just gone in with a boring cobra motif, but they actually did something that's a bit more tech and Aztec mixed together, and I really love the, the synergy of, of design there. And once again, he is the iconic Cobra Commander. He's the, the de facto Cobra Commander. And although I've got the previous release, which is very reminiscent of the G.I. Joe Reloaded comic cover, it's great to have true Cobra Commander in my collection and done really well. So yeah, those are my only two new toys and a Robocop. I picked up a small Robocop, which has actually been a lot of fun. He has been a, a prototype bat made by the American government. But that's just me having fun. <laughs> <laughs> With the human right hand. Nice. That's right. <laughs> he believes in touch. <laughs> well, I wonder if any of the listeners would, would perhaps recognize this sound effect. <laughs> uh, if you're shaking your heads, fret not. It's not anything G.I. Joe produced. This was a, a Mattel toy produced for a line called Captain Power and the Soldiers of the Future which was revolutionary in a number of areas, not least of which in the scale of its failure. <laughs> Power on. Captain Power and the soldiers of the future. Earth 2147, the legacy of the Metal Wars, when man fought machine and machines won. Biodreads, monstrous creations that hunt down human survivors and digitize them. Volcania, center of the Biodread Empire, stronghold and fortress of Lord Dread, feared ruler of this new order. But from the fires of the Metal Wars arose a new breed of warrior, born and trained to bring down Lord Dread and his Biodread Empire. They were soldiers of the future. Mankind's last hope. Their leader, Captain Jonathan Power, master of the incredible power suits which transform each soldier into a one-man attack force. Major Matthew Hawk Masterson, fighter in the sky. Lieutenant Michael Tank Ellis, ground assault unit. Sergeant Robert Scout Baker, espionage and communications. And Corporal Jennifer Pilot Chase, tactical systems expert. Together they form the most powerful fighting force in Earth's history. Their creed to protect all life. Their promise to end Lord Dredd's rule. Their name, Captain Power and the Soldiers of the Future. This was a live-action TV show and its spin-off toy. I mean, it's, it's most likely that the toy came first and the TV show was designed as a, as a platform for it. But basically, I imagine it was in the, in the wake of, of the demise of He-Man, Mattel turned their attention towards the three and three-quarter inch scale and realized that they needed to compete with G.I. Joe somehow, so they incorporated a gimmick in their vehicles and playsets. The gimmick was that the playsets and vehicles would interact with the live-action TV show in a similar, similar fashion that a light gun for a Nintendo entertainment system would be able to function with a television. So you'd shoot at baddies on your TV set and rack up points with a variety of toys, the most famous of which is the Powerjet X-T7, which is what I bought and had it shipped to me here in Seoul, in South Korea. 
it's a fascinating piece of toy history. It represents a gimmick which occupied a very specific time and place in toy lore. I mean, God knows nothing like it ever came before, and nothing like it has ever been attempted since. It was doomed to fail, really, and it doesn't work terribly well, as far as I can tell, uh, though I don't have any of the VHSs on me. Uh, it certainly doesn't work with YouTube. <laughs> yeah, it won't, because your computer screen doesn't produce a flicker. It yeah. needs a CRT. Damn it. Oh, it need a good old tube television. Yeah, because it produces a flicker, which allows it to work out the, the coordinates. Amazing. Well, I did not know that. Thanks, Paulie. A little bit of no techie problem, insider <laughs> knowledge. But, I mean, it's a pretty basic toy apart from the feature. It's got a nice heft to it. It's essentially like a laser tag gun with a cockpit uh, that holds a figure in a Joe scale. And when your ship scores too many hits, as the gimmick goes, the uh, canopy pops open and the ejection seat kind of pops your figure out. Mine is not strong enough to do that, and it's pretty damn strong, so I can only imagine it was a design fault. This baby was new in box, practically. It came with its packaging, its foam inserts, and a very cool full-color instruction manual, which, I mean, nowadays you'd only ever find something like that with really high-end productions. Here, you know, like, you just have this kooky jet that uh, comes with this full-color beautifully written instruction booklet on how to play with your power jet xt7 it's quite a thrill reading something like that and just thinking wow they had such high hopes for this toy and this range uh. of toys and this play pattern because not only could you interact with your with your tv set you could flip a switch on the jet and have it score points against other captain power toys and uh <laughs> the the sort of enemy forces the uh Fuck, whatever it's called. The Phantom Striker, yes, which was the baddie jet. And also the Interlocker Throne, which was Lord Dredd's kind of fixed throne slash anti-aircraft cannon, which had a little uh, viewfinder which placed a, like an LED target, not an LED, LCD target over your uh, whatever you were pointing it at. I mean, it was, it was a pretty, pretty cool, cool range of toys, yeah. You had a, a power-on sort of throne for Captain Power, which which would also interact with the show whenever whenever Captain Power would say, power on, and switch on his armor, this throne would, would switch on and start making obnoxious sounds. <laughs> <laughs> no, not quite that cool. More like... Whatever. It's fascinating, and... In spite of us being a dedicated G.I. Joe podcast and YouTube review channel, I sincerely hope I get around to doing a review of this toy. There are a few of them out there, but I think I have a few things to say that, that perhaps other people missed. I mean, the interactivity with G.I. Joe figures is great. Right now, I have a blizzard sitting in the cockpit, and I must say he does look like an Arctic version of old Captain Power. Similar helmet, and he looks spiffy inside the very kind of off-white smooth-looking X-T7. It's a very satisfying a toy. toy. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I'm I had... somebody who owned... Sorry. <laughs> no, I wish I had more of them. It's a nice little piece of the 80s that I've managed to acquire in a very kind of minty conditions. Yeah, nice. Just minus the... Um, the decals are unapplied, but it doesn't have the second sheet, which 
has all the foil stickers. Which, granted, look a little bit hokey anyway. I'm glad I don't have the first sheet missing, which has, like, I suppose, the, the instrumentation for the inside of the cockpit and various, like, I don't know, suspension of disbelief kind of no-step stickers and uh, warning stickers and stuff like that. Well, I'm somebody who owned that. Uh, Sega had made a laser tag, like a portable laser tag called uh, Lock-On. I and, remember Lock-On. Uh, yeah, you had a yeah, headset, didn't you? Yeah. With the uh, and it was, targeting it was a lot of, And I loved it, hey, because, I mean, I, I took it so much further than, like, just playing stupid laser tag with my friends. And and it was a lot of fun. There was, like, a weird interactivity there. And I and I get that, you know. I get that the appeal of something like Captain Power in that regard. I actually think it's a very, very cool idea. I can't imagine why it didn't work. Oh, I, I mean, I suppose I could. And it's, it's going to be a stupid reason. But when I was a kid, I, I had, like, a thing. I, I used to love... Every single toy I got, I just used to love seeing what it looked like underwater. Oof. <laughs> so my <Yeah>. Captain Power <laughs> would have... Uh, power yeah. does not a good water toy make. <laughs> yeah. And I think that could have been a problem with it. I think that could have destroyed them. Because I wasn't the only kid like that that I knew. Everybody was throwing their toys in pools and stuff. So Wikipedia and the surrounding literature kind of cite a number of reasons for its failure. The first is scheduling. I mean, channels did not know where to place Captain Power. I mean, a live-action show doesn't mesh well with cartoons, so they put it ahead of the cartoons, which meant it was very early in the mornings, and you know, kids don't necessarily wake up in time to watch <laughs> Captain Power. Also, like parents almost boycotted the show or the toy line because they didn't want their kids to have to in order to get the enjoyment out of the TV show, to have to buy an expensive toy. It kind of was a forced marketing campaign that that leave a very good taste in parents' mouths, really. Oh, it got in the way of the 1980s coke habit, you know? Ouch. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hey, my parents were parents in the 80s, and so were yours. What are you trying to say? No, but I'm, no, no, I'm just saying, like, it just sounds like such a... Like a plea to like, please, I don't want noisy toys. I want to drink in peace. <laughs> Fair enough. Also, there was an enormous tension between the writers of the show who were actually doing some pretty outrageously cool things and unprecedented things for what is essentially a kid's show and the need to market these toys. I mean, every single episode had to include two battle sequences that you could basically use your Captain Power jet and other accessories to interact with. So you've got a 23-minute episode where the writers are trying to tell some kind of uh, narrative, and in the middle of it, you have to sandwich these two action sequences. Fair enough, it is an action show, but 23 minutes Mm -hmm. is not a whole lot of rope to play with. So writers like J. Michael Straczynski, who then went on to right for Batman cool. 5 and God knows what else. I mean, he's done some incredible Ghostbusters. Work. He was absolutely hamstrung by the need for this to be a toy commercial. Me being a toy fan, I see the other side to it, and I wish that both parties could have been more satisfied. Could have seen eye to eye, yeah. Yeah, because I enjoy the toy dimension, and I enjoy the the level of the writing. I mean, they killed characters off. They had implied sex between characters. Like, there were a lot of complex stuff happening in a kid's show. But, you know, it just was not meant to be, I guess. <laughs> it never saw a second uh-huh. season. 
crazy, actually. Well, yeah, Michael Straczynski, um, fun fact for you listeners, if you don't know, uh, he wrote the real Ghostbusters TV series. He actually penned the first two seasons. And I think uh, episodes here and there when it became Slimer and the Ghostbusters. And then obviously Stephen mentioned Babylon 5, and he's also a very well-respected comic writer, having turned a lot of Marvel's uh, A-list and B-list characters into superstars. More recently, to my memory, Thor. Thor yeah, and the Fantastic Thor. Four. I and never liked some, Fantastic some Four. Some Spider-Man arcs that have reached uh, amazing, you know, some amazing appeal, Spider-Man some arcs acclaim. that he wrote. I've got all of those, incidentally, and I love that guy's writing style. So it's cool. Uh, for me, it's kind of appealing to, to know that he wrote it, so I'll go and check out the show now, because I like, completely missed it. I was uh, Rob, you know, did you outside. ever watch Captain Power? I mean, it aired, I think, in 1993 in South Africa, which is like six years after it aired in the United States, but, I mean, <laughs> that's par for the course. We were <laughs> under economic sanction at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I... When I checked the uh, the theme song out on YouTube, it, it did it definitely resonated. Like I I don't remember because my uh, I have a terrible memory when it comes to childhood stuff. But um definitely I I feel like I have seen it before. It feels familiar, especially that weird bad guy. You know that 3D guy. Sauron. Eagle. The Sky yes. Sentry. Yeah, <laughs> he he definitely left an impression and. To my mind, possibly one of the earliest, if not the earliest, fully CG character. Mm. You know, actors no, were so. playing off a character that wasn't there. I think that was perhaps the turning point in in the medium's history. Moving on, okay. fellas. What yes. would G.I. Joe book be without some random topic to kind of spark debate? <laughs> we've had famous battle episodes before where we've pitted G.I. Joe and Cobra vehicles against each other. But we've never pitted the characters themselves against each other. We've decided to do a deathmatch. And we've come up with a couple of uh, random factors that are going to make it interesting. Getting down to the brass tacks of how this is going to work... Each of us have chosen a champion character, a character who we think has probably got the best combat stats you know, or most likelihood of coming out as a victor in a one-on-one duel. So in order to determine who goes against who, and these are only going to be one-on-one duels, we're not going to have a kind of three-way battle royale because it will free up the third uh, member of the podcast to act as our on-the-spot judge. In order to determine the matchups, we're going to do it on the roll of a dice. If I roll a 1 or a 3, we're going to have Paul versus Rob first. If I roll a 2 or a 4, it's going to be Rob versus Steve. And if I roll a 5 or 6, it's going to be Paul versus Steve. So here we go with the roll... And I've rolled a five, so our first matchup will be Paul versus Steve. Oh, God. Our second matchup will be Rob versus Steve. Oh, dear. And our third matchup will be Paul versus Rob. Dun, dun, dun. We have six possible environments for these contests to take place in, and they are randomly assigned a number. If I roll a one, battle will take place in an ancient set of runes situated inside a dense jungle. I mean, that's pretty par for the course if you're a G.I. Joe animated series fan. Uh, Mm -hmm. The second locale is an oil rig remote out at sea. 
The third would be the desert surrounding the pit. I'm not entirely sure why it would be surrounding the pit. This could just be any desert environment, really, but perhaps the pit can uh, come into play as a factor. The fourth is a research station in the frozen north. The fifth is inside the pit, so a pit interior battle. And the sixth, just so the Cobras might have an edge, is inside the Terradrome. So, do I roll now or do I roll later? Before you roll, I just wanted to check something with the, the listeners quickly. Guys, we are holding on to one Joe, so we're not going to flip-flop between having a Joe and Cobra. So if we end up having Joe and Joe battles, that's going to happen. Okay, so just putting that out there. We, we didn't Definitely make allowances so. for a Cobra character, at least not for this episode. So bear with us. At this point, I'd like to also let the listeners know that we have kept our character choices secret from one another. <laughs> so the big reveal is coming up, but let's just set our course and lock it in before we start. So for our first battle of Paul versus Steve with Rob judging, we are going to be fighting it out in Inside the Pit. Nice. <laughs> and the second battle, which would be Rob versus Steve, will be happening... In an oil rig out at sea. Oil rig. Oh. Our third and final battle, this being between Paul and Rob, is happening in the ancient ruins in a dense jungle. All right. Battle number one. Paul versus Steve inside the pit. It's time to reveal our characters, Paul. Who did you pick? Oh. Should we roll to see who, who says it first? Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> One, two, three. Steven says first. Four, Odd five, numbers six, me, four. even numbers Steve. Oh, God. Are you kidding? You're not kidding. No, do it. <laughs> okay. Do it. I don't want you to... Oh, we have an odd number. Yeah, because remember, we can change these things on the fly, hey? Not that we should, but we can. <laughs> well, the great thing is that I'm going last, so I can choose someone who's good against both of you. <laughs> Exactly. Or you just so no ice cream soldier. Forewarned and forearmed. I mean, like I'm not going to have very different things to say uh, in both of my matchups. But I've rolled a one, which means uh, you Me. say first. It's Tunnel Rat. Okay. Ah. Seems like he would definitely have an edge in the pit. But uh, mm -hmm. will he be able to come out and best Zartan, the Master of Disguise? Oh, I'm ah. so lucky I didn't choose uh, Zartan today. <laughs> Zartan <laughs> well, and Tunnel Rat. This is a good one. Well, yeah, we could have had Zartan versus Zartan. You know, it'd be like uh, if you do that in Street Fighter and the one guy has a slightly darker uniform or something. But no, I'm glad, I'm glad there's no overlap. So let's set up the scenario quickly. I don't know. Uh, should the judge decide on the scenario or should we decide on the scenario? Well, provided there's no one else in the arena. So this pit is deserted. Okay, so everybody's got an important mission. <laughs> yeah, leaving Tunnel Rat solitaire, trying to stalk and evade and capture or kill Zartan. Right off the bat, I'm just going to say Zartan is perhaps the most successful killer in G.I. Joe lore. Yes, between the two. I got to agree. Uh, between him and anyone. Yeah, true. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, 
starting way back in kind of G.I. Joe mythos with the death of the Hardmaster. That was at Zartan's hands. Zartan also was responsible for killing the Blind Master and Serpentor. And he's in a biker gang, so he's probably been responsible for killing tons and tons of small rodents that find their way on the road. <laughs> yeah, so a tunnel rat shouldn't be too difficult. <laughs> exactly, I think you just painted yourself into a corner there, buddy. Uh, oh, Zartan is also, as we know, a master of disguise, which perhaps is not so useful in a one-on-one battle because, you know, him impersonating any other personnel would be supremely suspicious. So that tactic might not work, but he also has technology that aids in his concealment, yes, effectively making him disappear from view. And that let's, let's, would be handy. Let's make it more interesting, because it's going to make it interesting for both of us. Let's say that Zartan has been involved in gassing the pit. So everybody in the pit is like KO'd. They're just knocked out. They've passed out from some kind of nerve gas. And Tunnel Rat has just gotten back from some R&R, and he's walked in on all of this. And the gas has dissipated so he can survive. So now uh, Zartan is running around in there, in the pit, and Tunnel Rat isn't aware of his presence, but can tell that all the Joes are knocked out and that a lot of the electrical systems seem to be running on standby. Make it more interesting for both of us. Okay, well, in that case, I would have Zartan impersonate Airtight, sneak up behind Tunnel Rat and KO, man. No, but they say that wouldn't work out because what Tunnel Rat would be a lot more cautious. I mean, he is a Joe after all. He'd get there and he'd be like, everybody's passed out. And then his first instinct would be to try and call for like, some check for some kind of help. So Tunnel Rat would go and check out some communication stuff, uh, but he would feel something's odd, so he'll always have his guard up, because maybe there's a Cobra invasion, maybe it, there's some kind of spy or something that's going on there, so he's not going to trust anybody immediately. I feel that Tunnel Rat is not a trusting personnel. He's, he's the kind of guy who's, well, as his name implies, he's EOD. He's already quite skittish. So I don't think Airtight's just going to sneak up on Tunnel Rat. I think Airtight would be met with lots of suspicion. Okay, well then... Screw the duplicitous approach. Let's just go with the direct approach. Zartan is going about his business, doing whatever it is he came to do in the pit that he is yeah. now gassed out and is is effectively the only one active inside uh, the pit. If uh, Tunnelrat was to catch him in the act, uh, if Zartan was foolish enough to, to allow that to happen, and they were in confined spaces, while I do appreciate that Tunnel Rat is an accomplished martial artist. I think Zartan yeah. has the edge in that regard as well. Yeah, so the, Because he's also an accomplished kind of martial artist, but I, I somehow think that he's a good deal stronger and more durable than little Tunnel Rat. Okay, so Tunnel Rat would have to do something more familiar to him. So Tunnel Rat goes and checks out. He's trying to make a commu- send a communication message. He um, tries to get some kind of security thing. He sees that something's happening in like sub-level three or whatever, you know, uh, living or habitation or whatever. And he thinks, okay, well, there's Cobra here. He has no idea who it is. So he does what he does best. He uh, jumps into some air ducts (laughs) and he makes his way through down an elevator shaft or whatever and tries to see if if he can see who the assailant is because the cameras are down, but the motion sensor still works. So he's going down and he's checking out. He sees Zartan, but Zartan doesn't know he's there. And then he thinks, okay, cool. So now he's, I'm setting up a booby trap. So Tunnel Rap's setting up a booby trap to try and lure Zartan out of that situation. How would Zartan fare then? 
I think invoking that kind of tactic implies that you are getting the jump on Zartan. Yes, and it's possible to and get the jump on Zartan because he's sure, gassed everybody. Sure, but I mean, yeah. that could work in either character's favor. I mean, it, like, it's, it, what's to prevent me from saying that Zartan gets a jump on Tunnel Rat somehow? I think if they both are aware of one, of another's, one another's presence, yeah. I think Zartan has the edge. In terms of training, in terms of special abilities that he has going for him. And he says it himself when he is, in fact, escaping the pit in, yeah. in G.I. Joe, I think it's in the, in the 40s, uh, the original uh, Real American Hero Marvel Comics run. He's being pursued by Gung Ho in a, an air duct, and Gung Ho gives him some of Gung Ho's absolute best shots, and Zartan just shrugs them off saying... You are aware that I'm not quite human. So, Zartan's just one tough mother and is a born killer. I mean, he's just, as I say, probably the most proficient Cobra operative in that regard. And I think that's all I really have to say in this contest. (laughs) I think they're fairly matched in sneaking up on each other. I think, uh, although maybe, yeah, I I can maybe agree that Zartan's probably the sneakier of the two, but I do think uh, with Tanarat's experience and things like demolitions and explosives, that he could definitely find a way to make Zartan's day very bad. Maybe even at his own expense. Getting revenge on Zartan or maybe taking Zartan out so that he doesn't escape with some secrets or whatever from the pit. You know, and in the in the form oh, of some Paul, form of this kind is, of a, this is a full death match, man. The object is a fight to the death. Yeah. And okay. Zartan's ruthlessness would also be a factor. If Tunnelright hesitates for one second and tries to play the good guy and take Zartan alive, that's going to cost him. Yeah. So being a Joe yeah. does not count in his favor in that regard. Zartan True. has no hesitation to do whatever he needs to do to achieve the objective and get out of there. Hmm. And by being in the pit, he's already got his back up against the wall and he's on his toes. He's super cautious. And yeah, just, as skilled I mean... as, just as skilled as uh, Tunnel Rat is with explosives and trap laying, that's another skill yeah. that Zartan has. In space. No, they're fairly evenly matched. So, mm. what say you, Robbo? Yeah, is it time for uh, for, for judgment? Yeah, because I can't. I mean, <laughs> you've you've pretty no no no, but I mean, you have coloured in some of the arguments, and I've coloured in some of the scenarios. So, that's why we have a judge. <laughs> the fight is occurring inside the pit, which I mean, would would suggest Tunnel Rat would have some sort of advantage because it's familiar ground. Yeah, time he, to, he would know yeah. where to go, know how to get around things. If they both are aware of each other, he would be able to hopefully lead Zartan into choke points, into traps, his ability to sort of go around, you know, in, yeah, inside the ducts and wherever else. I think the familiar ground definitely gives him an edge. Yeah, it, it's a tough one, but I, I probably would give it to Zartan in this situation. Okay, so you're saying the matchup in, in a lot of ways is kind of like uh, a predator, like Zartan is like the predator. Yeah, he, so it basically, like a, yeah. Zartan is the predator, Tamarat is Arnie. Arnie has to really work hard to get this done, and I think, although I mean, Zartan also has craziness on his, not on his side, but as a disadvantage. Hopefully you'd be able to mess with his mind in some ways, but, um, shit. Because one thing that, and correct me if I'm wrong here, Steve, in the comic book, Zartan has no sensitivity to light, hey? Bright lights and stuff. Ah, uh, look, the, the writing kind of flip-flopped on the subject often enough. Okay. Uh, until eventually, I think Harmer just forgot 
about that aspect altogether. But in Zartan's okay. initial introduction, whenever he walked out into light, he went a dark shade to hmm. sort of mimic the toy. But then he also was able to absorb Firefly's camo pack when he shook Firefly's hand. Oh, okay. okay so, so it, that, it worked okay, no, like just... a chameleon, but also like photosensitive. So you go into light, your skin goes really, really dark. <laughs> I mean, his skin goes really, really dark. Though I'm sure your skin <laughs> would go really, really dark as well if you spend enough time in the sun, Paulie. Sun, Too bad yeah, you true. spend most of it bathing yeah. in the glow yeah. from your monitor. Yeah, I get more radiation that way. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Rob, I think, so yeah. what, what is your final judgment on it? Like, who gets it, Zartan or? I, I think, think Paul, if I, if I w- was, can I just preempt you there, Rob? I think Tunnel Rat is an outstanding soldier, but yeah. all of the GI Joes kind of are, oh. and Zartan is really a kind of a one of a kind creature. Yeah, it's a very special thing. Yeah, there is something unique about him. Incidentally, he was one of my original three oh. when I was making up my mind. Yeah. So I agree with you there. That's why it's very difficult for me to go up against them in a lot of ways. Because I'm kind of know how... You're your own worst enemy. Based on arguments provided, I think Zartan would probably win this. And the scenarios that you provided, you know, a gassed output. Yeah, Tunnelrat would be on guard, but Zartan knows that if anyone moves, if anything happens in the place, it's something that he still has to take care of. Yeah, so, and he would be thorough. Yeah, no. Zartan wins battle number one. Hmm. Okay. In battle number two, Zartan's going up against whoever Sneak Rob peek. picked. Sneak yeah. Peek! Ah. Yeah. On an oil rig out at Yeah. Sea. Sneak Peek is ranger trained. He's advanced recon. He's an infantryman. Okay, I'm basically reading the file card. <laughs> He's an <laughs> no, that's infantryman. Fine. He, you know, radio telecommunications, I don't know how helpful they would be in a, in a fight. He's exceptionally patient. He's deliberate. He's logical, and he likes watching. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever environment he'll be in, he would notice changes. He would be able to pick up on on the movements of the enemies. And I think even if Sartan were to attempt to sneak up on him, I think it would be more like Sneapik would have found a position to be in where he would be able to observe the the oil rig as best he can so that he can see what's going on. He would see any approach, and he'd be ready for it if necessary. Okay. The problem with the geography of an oil rig is there's no real vantage point that doesn't expose you. Mm. You know, you're kind of in the thick of it unless you're on one of the corners or, you know, suspended somehow mm. high up, which kind of isolates you above. and puts you in a in a position to be to be spotted. There's yeah, no natural camouflage to be had. I mean, mm. an oil yeah, rig battle would most likely be solved by a sort of a close in conflict, one that I'm afraid Sneak Peek falls short of. He can't very well radio in some artillery. <laughs> I think it probably would come down to close quarters, but I think he he has the ability, as his name suggests, to sneak around and to get around unnoticed, probably as well as a ninja does. Hmm. So he'd probably use that to his advantage. Yeah, it's it's very close quarters, but because he can't see you from a long distance, that means neither can you. I think he would be very capable and he's very ready to kill if necessary. I mean, he's a ranger, he's a he's a soldier killing. I mean, that's not it's not supposed to be a problem. I mean, that's what you are, a soldier, you're a killing machine. Sure. I mean, I don't want to restate what I've no, said no, previously, but, you know, but I mean, it, it does it, it does kind of 
lend itself to the same scenario that while Sneak Peek may be a very accomplished soldier, as all G.I. Joes are, Zartan is something altogether unique. Let's talk weaponry, for instance. We didn't really engage with that, uh, with the, the Tunnel Rat Zartan duel. But, mm. you know, Sneak Peek's, I suppose, weapon of choice would be an M16 or M4. Well, yeah, anything... Yeah, probably an assault rifle. Then a NATO I mean, assault rifle. Yeah, I think NATO his modern-day armory would be like a scar or something. And handguns. Which is something that, that Zartan could adapt to. But in addition to that, Zartan is an excellent bowman. Mm. And with a bow, you have two distinct, very interesting advantages, provided you're any good with the damn thing. Firstly, it's a, very stealthy, it's a very stealthy weapon. And secondly, you can fire along a trajectory. So you can hit targets behind cover, essentially. Mm. Zartan also uses sophisticated acoustic devices to hear where his targets are. Well, and I think on, on a, a steel oil rig platform... Well, that sounds, kind of takes out that advantage, though. The, sound, I mean, well, the it, soundscape starts becoming very important. Well, that's another lucky advantage that Sneak Peek has. In one of his file cards, it suggests that because he's so patient, he spends so much time alone and using his senses that they're actually heightened. He has a better sense of smell, a better sense of hearing, which means that he's like daredevil in a way, but he can see <laughs> as well. <laughs> so his with his heightened senses and his makeup that he, he is a patient person, he's waiting, he'll probably find the best place to wait, like a place where he knows that people would pass through mo- most likely because he has so much experience with watching troop movements. He's, he's had a lot of experience watching what other people do and probably a very good judge of not just character, but of human psyche and the way the brain works. Mm. So I think he'd probably place himself in the best position to wait. Hidden until he sees his enemy and then he takes them out before the enemy knows he's there. Granted, I just somehow feel that Sneak Peek's previous experience and combat experience deal in much vaster terrain where he can conceal himself. He can take a bit more time to creep up on his quarry and then conceal himself. This is happening very much more immediately in a much more confined space with nowhere to run. And it's... Happening in the thick well, of it. Well, he doesn't which... have to run anywhere. I mean, just because he's so used to doing it out in the outdoors doesn't mean he isn't able to adapt those methods to a smaller environment. He'd have to keep his cool, though. I, I mean, this is definitely a new beast for him. It's not something that he often does. Kind of a cat-and-mouse game with a mercenary killer biker gang leading shape-shifting chameleon dude. So there's a psychological dimension as well, that if he doesn't keep a cool head... Well, he is able to keep a cool head. I mean, even also on the Falcon, as it suggests, I mean, he he places himself inside enemy territory for days, if not weeks on end, inside cramped cover where he's not allowed to move, which means he has a very strong psychological element to him, where he has to stay as still as possible or he will die, which means he is able to overcome a lot of fear and adrenaline and stay hidden until the best possible moment where either he can escape, which, I mean, of course, is usually a thing because he's a recon soldier, but he's also a ranger, which means he is skilled and trained in weapon use. Which escape means that even is in not this a valid 
okay. But escape know, is not I'm a not valid saying... course of action in a death match. Well, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that. I'm, I'm just mentioning an escape. I'm not saying that's what his focus is on. He has the endurance and the ability, the patience and the, and the mental strength to wait it out. To find a place mm. to hide, which is what he is able to do. He is able to hide from enemies in their own territory so well that they don't know he's there for extended periods of time until the right moment. The right moment usually is to just observe and see what's going on. But he can also kill if necessary because he is a soldier. But he can't stop breathing, can he? <clears throat> no, he can't stop breathing, but he can probably... Because uh, the acoustic sensors on Zartan's <clears throat> bow are tuned to listen out for human breathing and heartbeat. That's true. But because so of Zartan will be able to, to ferret out... Zartan yes. will be able to ferret out Sneak Peek's hiding place and either wait him out or find a way to snuff him out. Maybe set fire to a portion of the oil rig. And once Sneak Peek's out in the open, twang. I, I feel I've said enough on this topic, Paul. No, I, they both have advantages of hearing, which mm. means, and also his ability to wait for so long, which means he does have control of his own body in lowering his mm. heart rate and but listening for other things. He's not actively stalking Zartan. Your tactic is to find a hiding place and play the waiting game and wait for the perfect opportunity to strike. That would be like yes. Zartan, I don't know, That's, like moving out of cover and, and exposing himself. Mm. Zartan would have to first find Sneak to know where he is. And then through your own process of finding him, Sneak would see you and take you out. Your tactic relies on Zartan behaving in a predictable fashion, whereas Zartan has a far vaster array of tactics that he can draw upon. I think I said enough. (laughs) Paul, Uh, what say you? I say in the battle of the senses between the two of them, um, in the sense that, for example, yes, Zartan has trained senses from the Roshikage um, training and whatever that he has have that he does have behind him. But the fact that he needs to use sensitive acoustic equipment to find sneak peek puts him in an advantage in that regard, and that he's got technology to assist him with his with his mission. Although I do think the environment of an oil rig having as much movement, oil rigs are out in the ocean, so they're always getting hit by the wind. There's tons of sea life around them all the time, you know, like seagulls and all that crazy stuff. Okay, in some cases, depending on where this oil rig is. Um, I think there's a lot of acoustic in- interference. So I don't, I actually think Zartan's acoustic targeting weapon would be rendered moot for the most part because of the amount of acoustic interference caused by the oil rig. I think between the two of them, Zartan doesn't have as much patience. Um, this is displayed in, in the comic where, as it is, he's a gun for hire. <laughs> he's never really officially finished his training. Uh, he's always on the run. He's always seemed to be quite a skittish character. But, you know, in some regards, yes, he is an efficient killer and he knows what to do to get the job done, but he's used to hiding himself in plain sight. Maybe the added stress of being stalked by something he can't see uh, might make him a bit more nervous. Uh, definitely will stop him from resting. Okay, in terms of the melee, kind of them actually meeting up with each other, uh, it goes down like how most fights would go. It's who's better at that second. A sneak peek does have a lot of physical disadvantages in that regard. Yes, he's ranger trained. That is not something to scoff at. That's actually pretty badass. But his primary military speciality is not to get involved in conflict. It is to watch. So he may be very out of practice there, whereas Zartan is always 
disarming, um, taking people out to replace them, to take their roles. He's very good at taking people out. I think if um, if the, the battle was it was a long battle and it was about endurance, uh, I think Sneak Peek would have a much better chance. But I think if it was they're on an oil rig, the place is going to blow up, there's only one boat and they have to kill each other, I think Zartan would, <laughs> would win that kind of fight. Uh, I think Zartan would definitely take Sneak Peek out. Zartan would cross lines that Sneak Peek wouldn't. Zartan would bite Sneak Peek. He'd probably tear his throat out or something like that. Um, just the way I, I see it with his teeth, you know what I mean? Whereas Sneak Peek, I think, is very good. I think Sneak, uh, like I said, if it was a prolonged battle, Sneak Peek would probably have Zartan down and might even integrate himself as one of the dead crew members and stalk Zartan in that way. But, what is it with you and littering these environments with bodies? Hey, you know, it's it never it's occurred just, to me that everyone was dead. Well, I mean, if they're alive, it's a different situation as well because then Zartan's disguised as one of them and so is Sneak Peek. And it's then just it's deserted, uh, okay? They have okay, to well, find then, a deserted oil rig to do battle on. <laughs> Well, then maybe on the deserted oil rig, Zartan. <laughs> okay. But then, but then the thing is, like, then there's little things like, how did they both get there? You know, if Zartan's being picked up, then Sneak Peek's best option, like I said, he he could win a prolonged battle in the form of waiting for Zartan's extraction from the oil rig. Did you in which case, he might die with because. Your toys, man, like you had to think too much. No, dude, I love. This is how I play with my toys. I think of all of this cool stuff, and then you I actually find get other to toys like, to be by dead battle. people. Oh uh, yeah. yeah. Um, so, Paul, we need to, to press you for an answer, man, because I'm anxious to hear uh, what uh, Tunnel Rat versus Sneak Peek winds up being like. Okay, yeah, because well, it's Rob... probably the only fair fight tonight. <laughs> well, <laughs> I don't know. Let's let's hear it, Paul. Come on, man. Uh, Rob, I hate to say it. Uh, Sneak Peek was a very cool choice. I actually like that you chose somebody that was B-list because he's just unusual and it gives us a whole dimension to think about because here's a character that has a lot in common with Zartan in some ways, but Zartan does kill him. Zartan does win this battle, sadly. Which huh. I'm just going to... I am going to say something, though, and maybe this is sour grapes, but there's a reason none of us chose Snake Eyes because in a battle like this, I'm sure Snake Eyes could get the upper hand and kill Zartan. So the Blind Master's got an upper hand on Zartan before... So there's a reason we haven't used Thornton's Shadow and Snake Eyes and, you know, Nemesis and Force or anything that's, like, crazy out of this Nemesis world. I was going to use Nemesis and Force. I, I was going to use Sergeant Slaughter. <laughs> Seriously, I was, th- I was, I had, originally, I had Zartan, Sci-Fi, Tunnel Rat. And I was, yeah, deciding on which one would be more interesting uh, to back up. But I just don't have as much info on Sci-Fi as I wanted. Anyway, Zartan wins this battle as cool. we expect him to. But I think Sneak Peek puts a really, up a really good fight and a really interesting fight on top of that, personally. All right, cool. Zartan sweeps the boards. But now it's time for a Joe-on-Joe battle taking place in the ancient ruins in a dense jungle. Paul with Tunnel Rat versus Rob with Sneak Peek. This is interesting. <laughs> it is, and to make it a little bit more interesting, you gentlemen may select... A motorized action pack from 1987 or 1988 to equip your character with. So, which will hmm. be interesting. Uh, it does <laughs> tank the mo- car. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, rope rope walker or whatever it's called. <laughs> um, nah, that that does that exclude the little motorbike thing? Uh, no, it includes any of the ATV. motorized 
uh, equipment packs or vehicle packs from 1987 or 88. You can get a scuba pack if you like. Or a minesweeper. For the listeners' edification, that includes the anti-aircraft gun, the earth borer, the helicopter, the mountain climber, the pom-pom gun, the radar station, the rope walker, and the rope crosser. Yes. Well, the one is Joe, one is Cobra. Mm. The Cobra machine gun nest, the Cobra twin missile radar, the dreadnought battle axe, the G.I. Joe double machine gun, the G.I. Joe minesweeper, the G.I. Joe mortar launcher, or the following vehicles, the Cobra gyrocopter, the Cobra rocket sled, the G.I. Joe ATV, the G.I. Joe scuba pack, oh yeah, or the G.I. Joe tank car. That's quite a few options, actually. Jeez. I want... I, I shot Incidentally, the radar station is advertised on Sneak Peek's back. Interesting. Joe's can't use Cobra equipment, right? For this contest, because you're both Joe, I will allow it. So Cool. Dreadnought axe, tree cutter of death. God. <laughs> oh, dear. My Everybody's man. a joker. No, dude, I think it's the most effective weapon given the circumstances. I mean, what the, where the hell am I going to drive or fly to? I say gyrocopter, he says pom-pom gun. Okay. <laughs> Interesting. I think I... What would Sneak Peek probably take? Telephoto mm. lens backpack. <laughs> I think probably the most useful thing for him to take would be so many options. <laughs> I think he'd take the mountain climber, which would allow him, I mean, more access to the environment. And not the helicopter pack. Well, the helicopter pack would probably be quite noisy. Fair enough. Mm. I don't want to be like flying around. Because sneak peek's shtick is to sneak and peek. Oh. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And so are tunnel rats to a degree. Yeah, so she, yeah. He, he, should t- he should totally take the earth borer, make some <laughs> tunnels. <laughs> but, sorry, I, I'm, I'm talking way too much. Gentlemen, have at thee. Something I forgot to mention in my first battle is Tunnel Rat grew up in Brooklyn, and he fought a lot. He was probably bullied a lot and beat up a lot of people. So Tunnel Rat, although he is martial art, uh, martial artist, he's also got a lot of experience with... Um, fighting and punching people, especially uh, pervert paparazzi. (laughs) Yeah, because they're all taking pictures of the short little, like, Asian guy. Yeah, exactly. You know, because it's tough being tunnel rat. I think one of the major things that he would do, he'd probably try to lure Sneak Peek or try to use Sneak Peek's... um, He would probably treat Sneak Peek as a normal soldier. He wouldn't treat him as anything special. So he would probably try to deal with him as a normal soldier by setting up booby traps and using a sort of a hit-and-run technique, which I know might seem like another G.I. Joe's technique, but did anybody get the pun there? (laughs) But yeah. (laughs) But yeah, I think he's... I mean, he's also ranger-trained, so he's also ranger-trained, and he's he's obviously got the same, you know, NATO small arms training, but he is sneaky. That's the one thing. Are we both stuck inside this, like, ancient ruin? And, and hunting each other down. Are you the real sneak peek? Are you like maybe not Zartan in disguise, but like a brainwashed sneak peek? You know, the, the it would have been awesome if I was Zartan disguised, because then I know exactly who'd win this fight. <laughs> I was very careful with my word choice. That's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. It could be that they're both soldiers sent out there on separate missions, like hmm. not Hawk. But someone above that saying, there's an operative out there, we need him taken out, 
it'll be in that final moment of maybe realization that you're up against the Joe and who would be more willing to take the other one out in that mm. last moment. Or maybe you have been told that it is sneak peek, or we've both been told exactly who it is. And said, mm. no, but actually they're a traitor. And there's undeniable proof given to us. Kind of, so kind of like, um, yes, Zartan said, he said, you must take out sneak peek. Rah, he's evil and turned to Cobra. And he said the same thing to, to me, saying Tunnel Rat is evil, actually. And so now we have yes. to take them out. That feeling of betrayal. I think probably my tactics would be probably very similar to what I would have used on Zartan if I could have. You know, sort of sneaking around. He's exceptionally observant. You know, his ability to sort of move through terrain without leaving a trail. So it would be very difficult to track sneak peek. So... Also, in using the mountain climber, I probably try and keep more high so I can see more of the terrain, be more observant of what's going on around me, and then hopefully see you before you see me. And if you did see me before I saw you, would you try to like shoot at me or something? Yeah, he'd probably try and shoot at you before you could get too close. Because, I mean, yeah, he's ranger trained, but probably because you know he's more used to recon and being alone and not having to actually engage with enemies. His hand-to-hand so combat abilities... Uh aren't as good. So he'd try to keep a distance, try and take you out from range. So you're saying his non-lethal behavior in combat has given him a false sense of the range of his weapon, thereby giving away his his, uh, position, which will allow Tunnel Rat with his scoped big machine gun (laughs) to turn around and open fire on the general direction of where the shot came from, and and hopefully, you know, with any luck, actually take Sneak Peek out. Because... Well, There's a reason <clears throat> Tunnel Rat's got a scoped machine gun. <laughs> because yeah, those things can actually hit that range. They can hit quite a serious yeah, range. No, in some ways, they're regarded range. as sniper rifles. Yeah, well, I mean, that's why often in um, what is it, Rainbow Six Vegas, I would I would take <laughs> the heavy machine gun with the scope on. Because it had such oh, amazing range. It's common practice in Battlefield with a lot of guys as well to sit there with single-shot scoped freaking M60s and they're like clipping everybody off without having to worry <laughs> about the reload. Ever reloading, yeah. But also, I think because he's observed people a lot, so he would expect certain tactics. Maybe he he knows for himself that he doesn't shoot as well, sneak peek, as as well as he should. So he would place Mm -hmm. himself somewhere that would be unexpected, and he would hopefully know where you're coming from. And well, the thing is, glad I'm not judging this. (laughs) Yeah, I know, right? I think probably Um, sneak peek wait for night time, because with his proficiency with all NATO night vision devices. You'd probably have an advantage at night. You'd be sitting somewhere, perhaps in the trees, waiting for any movement and anticipating where you're going to come from, what tactics you're going to use, and sort of out to think you. What I would do is tunnel around. I would set up that big tree machine, and I'd use that cutting blade, you know, that massacre. I'd just set it up, and uh, I would use it to lure sneak peek or to draw sneak peek's attention create some kind of psychological trauma in him. Make him think that something's going on, that he's not alone. Something Maybe. unexpected, yeah. And try to wear him out. And Tunnel Rat has the luxury in that he can wear him out by, you know, moving around. And Tunnel Rat might not know where Sneak Peek is, but he'll find a way to hunt you down, whereas you won't move too much. Yeah, I think that's I, generally I what Sneak Peek does. Is he waits for some things to come to him. He anticipates normal stuff, but he isn't very good with the unexpected, maybe. Also, uh, depending on if I, on the cell phone reception, Tunnel Rat might just uh, check Sneak Peek's Facebook page. Here's me on the mountain, stalking Tunnel Rat. 
here's me on the side of the cliff <laughs> and location in the mountain and you know you're like New Mexico whatever or something he's not there anymore but so, I, I, I don't I, think sneak peek is someone who has Facebook <laughs> no I don't know I think if he he's is he's constantly checking Twitter or, or Facebook he wouldn't be a very good observer he probably has Instagram look at this Cobra <laughs> base lol filter um <laughs> No but I, th- I think Tunnel Rat's just the more combat savvy of the two. And if Sneak Peek has to reveal himself, I, I think Tunnel Rat with the or more sophisticated hand-to-hand experience and weapons experience would probably get Sneak Peek going. But I think if, oh. if you were able to to sneak up in some way, but I think Sneak Peek is exceptionally observant of everything around him, and he would notice yeah, approach, something yeah. would happen. They're pretty well matched, but I think Stephen... What's your what's your decision or what's your observations of this uh, this battle? Well, I've tried to keep some kind of tabs on uh, points for and against, gents, and there have been quite a yeah. few. The opening kind of round, Paul spoke about uh, essentially Tunnel Rat's hand-to-hand combat skills. In a melee situation, I'd give it to Tunnel Rat. Similarly, being the kind of combat engineer that Telnrat is, he also has a dimension of trap laying, which is also in his favor. But, as you've reiterated on, uh, on a few occasions, Rob, uh, Sneak Peek's tactics are passive ones. He's not out there stalking his prey, he's waiting for his prey to make a mistake and come to him. And if Telnrat is spending his time laying traps that might be drawing unnecessary attention to himself and give away his position. Sneak Peek, as you say, would then wait for nightfall and use his superior technology, that being his night vision gear and and various other items of equipment, to successfully stalk, hunt down, and eliminate Tunnel Rat. They're both rangers. Tunnel Rat only has two torches. true. And they would give his position away. I mean, those torches are... Perhaps good for for ferreting out uh, enemy tunnel networks, but mm. if you're on an open piece of ground, well, not so open piece of ground, but if you're stumbling around in the dark, a flashlight will definitely give you away. I take your point about Tunnel Rat's weapon loadout. In terms of raw firepower, he is carrying a monster of a gun, which has a better standoff range, better rate of fire. It's heavier. So toting that around would slow Tunnel Rat down somewhat, you know, hamper his mobility. But if Sneak Peek was to miss the first shot, I don't think Tunnel Rat would be very forgiving at all. He would yeah, just open up, be... open up on that M60 and drill Sneak Peek into submission. I mean, firing on Sneak Peek undercover, like allowing him to essentially keep Sneak Peek's head down while Tunnel Rat advances. Unless yeah, it's, Sneak it's Peek like had another a... scene from Predator. When you know when the guy takes on that giant gun and just rips up the entire jungle, but hits nothing. It'd be like that. <laughs> only grazes the predator. I mean, I don't think you're likely to survive a graze from an M60. But assuming Sneak Peek was a savvy enough guy to have a well-covered escape route, he could perhaps get out of that bind. They both have similar training in their ranger qualifications, so. It's difficult to say who has the edge in terms of just all-out survivalism and soldiering. I mean, mm. you do keep coming back to the point that Sneak Peek is used to being out there for weeks, you know, stalking his prey. Well, essentially, that's a skill that, that Tunnel Rat also possesses. I think maybe, marginally, in the endurance stakes, Sneak Peek could outlast Tunnel Rat 
also a dimension that perhaps one of you could have mentioned was the psychological one. And I suppose yeah. in many, many senses, Rob, you did kind of mention that because of, of Sneak Peek's superior endurance. I think that's what it comes down to. I think, I think Tunnel Rat's temperament is a bit more hot-headed. That could be a factor. Yeah, I didn't want to Brooklyn. mention that. <laughs> oh, you yeah. did say that that much, Paul. Yeah, I you did know, say I, that. I'm just curious. I mean, I think the mountain climber might also be a handicap, Rob, because uh-huh. it's a bulky piece of equipment that you're using to get into position. Like oh, to, try and con- to try and conceal that. Well, you did think of this, Paul, and, and it's something that, that, that led me to, to this point, that you'd use that ridiculous Dreadnought battle axe as a distraction. Just set it yes. off and make it, you know, just hack trees and, and go crazy. <laughs> that would elicit a response, perhaps, from Sneak Peek. Perhaps not a marked response. It's not like he's going to break cover. But it would make concentrating on the task at hand that much more difficult. I do think it would probably resolve in a night battle when Sneak Peek is more active. And maybe in that scenario, Tunnel Rat's traps would come into play. But setting those traps and not bringing attention to yourself is is difficult at best. I'm going to give it to Sneak Peek. Sorry, Nikki. Okay. No, no, that's cool. I think, like, to be fair, I think it's quite fair, actually. I think the environment is of some assistance to Sneak Peek's speciality. If mm. he can get to a decent enough vantage point, he can have command over the terrain. And his ability to be a night fighter really clinches it for me. Yeah, I mean, because as soldiers, they are quite equally matched. And, and you know what? I didn't choose Night Force Tunnel Rat, so I totally understand. <laughs> <laughs> no. Nice what play, exactly that, right? would Night Force Tunnel Rat have that a regular black Tunnel Rat doesn't? A black <laughs> Exactly, a black fist. And because he's part of the Night Force, he received night training. <laughs> yeah, in like night school. The, the training that they <laughs> skimped on the other Joes. Like, oh, you guys <laughs> don't function at night. Yeah, yeah we, we do they, that as a safety measure. the guys in the Night Force go to... But incidentally... <laughs> Tunnel Rat and Sneak Peek. They're both in the Night Force, yeah. Both They're are versions. Night Force operatives, yeah. They both went to night school. What I think is kind of interesting, just to mention, is that we all chose interesting characters, and I think Zartan is a very interesting choice, um, even though he is kind of super-powered. It feels like an obvious, yeah. Like, like, when I say super-powered, I'm not trying to say that, like, he has seriously unfair advantage. It's just a matter of, that's what makes Cobra special, is that they attract that kind of psychology, that kind of character or that kind of person but what i'm getting at is that we've all have chosen characters that favor sneaking around or favor inventive ways of taking out an enemy you know none of us went in straight with the the flint approach or the duke approach where right. you know th- th- those characters are well known for for thinking a little out of the box militarily but are, are more sort of straight up rock'em sock'em robots so to speak you know we we all chose very <laughs> sneaky characters and i think i think that's interesting that's something about G.I. Joe book is kind of cool. We chose the sneaky guys first. Yeah, I think we knew blast. what kind of fight we were getting ourselves into. A one-on-one mm. battle, yeah. you know, it could be Fast and Furious bloody first round of the Hunger Games all-out bloodbath, or it yeah. could be Katniss Everdeen sneaking around the forest uh, burying her little friend. Wow, if you watched the Hunger <laughs> Games. <laughs> uh, I like that. I did. I preferred the second one. And wow. I have great hopes for the third, uh, mm. even with a posthumous performance from Philip Seymour Hoffman, which I don't know how they're going to complete, but 
anime CGI. Or they just cut those scenes. I don't know. I don't know. That's why it's kind of cool, because we we all went for that kind of angle. So I'm looking forward to another round of this in in a future episode. Yeah, a round of characters and vehicles. Mm. Ah. It's it's cool, because there's so many more possibilities with this, I think. Yeah, totally. Vehicles, it's always very cool. I mean, I like talking vehicles, you know, based on stats and stuff. But here it's about how well you can kind of talk it up, I think, which is quite nice. And also, like, like how the character would think out of the box. You know, you have to put just... You, it, we're role-playing, essentially. But the thing is, I'd love to see us um, go into scenarios of, like, who would win in a situation of, like, you know, Flint stripped, uh, you know, Scarlet, and Snake Eyes <laughs> is very upset about this. And who would, who would be the best Joe to kind of solve this problem? But you don't announce the scenario, so, you know... You're very lucky if if you choose airtight or like I want to say ozone, but not clean sweep, you know, because you know those guys are are designed to deal with that kind of problem. So it'll be interesting Definitely. to see how Tunnel Rat has to deal with that, you know, <laughs> kind of scenario. Are you just gonna keep picking Tunnel Rat? Is that no. what's gonna happen, Paul? It's like, <laughs> no, and no, no. he's Tunnel Rat again. He's no, rat no, no, first no. tunnels. <laughs> you will eventually. But the point I'm making is that one of the reasons we read G.I. Joe comic books and we collect these figures is because we put them in scenarios and we like to see how they react in strange scenarios. And here we are in a lot of ways providing those answers for ourselves as opposed to relying on well-known writers and, and, uh, and relying on some of the current continuity of the comic books. We can cut things in half. Well, essentially, uh, we're just finding new and creative ways of playing with our toys, and this time excellent. playing with our toys in front of an audience. <laughs> this has been episode 31 of G.I. Joeberg, our famous battles episode. Or not so famous battles episode. God, did we ever think we'd see a battle between Sneak Peek and Tunnel Rat to the death? You saw well, it you... first on G.I. Joeberg. Oh, and also another thing for listeners, the cool thing about episode 31 is that we've recorded it in the week of my 31st birthday, which happens uh, on, uh, very soon, which is very pretty soon. cool. Yeah, it happens on Sunday, the 23rd of February, for all those, uh, all those people out there who want to collect information about us. Or wish you happy birthday. Wouldn't that be true? If all our fans would would wish me a happy birthday, perhaps on the Facebook page or in the comments on our Podbean page, that'd be amazing. And challenge. (laughs) This is Steve from GI Joburg signing off. This is Paul from GI Joburg sneaking back into the tunnel. Totally it's Michelle in the room. <laughs> no. <laughs> this is Robert fading into the fading what? Into the it's scenery. Fading back into on. the tunnel. Fading, fading, fading back into the into the and watching. This is Robert <laughs> watching you. For your eyes only. Ciao, guys. Ciao, ciao.